One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the podcast that uses the way music and songs bind us to memories to get to know our guests in a way that normal old non-song story interviews just can't touch. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. My guest this episode is Dr. Mike Martin, who just so happens to be president of Florida Gulf Coast University, where we make this show. He's been president here for almost a year and a half. Before FGCU, he served as chancellor or president or vice president or as a faculty member at a number of universities, including Colorado State, Louisiana State, University of Florida, and University of Minnesota. It would be correct to say he's had a long career in higher education. A Minnesota native, Dr. Martin got his bachelor's degree in business and economics and a master's in economics at Mankato State College in Minnesota, and he got his Ph.D. in applied economics from the University of Minnesota. He and his wife, Jan, have two children they adopted from Korea, the northern half of which Martin visited in 2005 as part of a delegation sent over by then-President George W. Bush, a fact I know from producing Gulf Coast Live and a time in his life which I hope we can at least partly cross paths with today during our chat. Hi there, Dr. Martin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. It's really cool. Delighted. Delighted. Okay, let's start with the musical background of your childhood. What was, uh, what was happening around you musically when you were a kid? Well, I was a child of the 50s and 60s, and so uh, it was the onset of rock and roll, uh, doo-wop, a lot of that stuff. My father was a great listener of music in the car on the old AM radio. <clears throat> which he sang along with quite poorly uh, <laughs> when we were kids. So, um, And then when I was in high school, I was in the choir, not a very good singer, but in the choir and took to that a bit, participated in a few musicals when I was in high school in the theater program. So for me, it was sort of a wonderful adventure. Many of my memories are tied as – you do every uh, time you broadcast one of these things to the music of the time. Um, did you grow up in uh, you know big city Minnesota or rural Minnesota? Well, we started out in northern Minnesota in a small, small town. My dad worked in the mines uh, initially, and uh, everybody in my family worked in the mines. And one half of the family immigrated to northern Minnesota just to work in the mines. And then uh, midway through grade school, about the fourth grade, we moved to Minneapolis because my dad took a job as a mechanic on the mining equipment whose regional headquarters was in Minneapolis. So the latter part of my uh, home education was in a suburb of Minneapolis in the first part in a relatively small town in northern Minnesota. Hmm. Was there music being played around the house on turntables or anything like oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the time. And particularly at my grand my, 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 my grandparents were Serbian immigrants and they played a lot of uh, Serbian music when huh. we were there, so I listened to a lot of that. As a, as a youth in northern Minnesota, I played the very badly played the accordion. Uh, my, my siblings... <laughs> Sorry to uh, laugh. There's well, no, no, I, the, you laugh because my siblings <laughs> voted to sell the accordion at some point in time <laughs> because I tortured it more than anything else, though I still believe that... Uh, my rendition of Blue Skirt Waltz could well have been a, a peak in the history of polka music. Did you play piano too or did you go straight no, to accordion? No, just right to the accordion. And everybody up there in that country played the accordion. Oh, right, yeah. So we had these accordion bands of just horrible music but great times. Your folks into Lawrence Welk? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> well, and and, and uh, 
and Lawrence Welk, and there's a whole wide raft of those kinds of musicians. Frankie Yankovic was a hero because he was Serbian, and he was a fairly famous accordion player. So Was that the one that they made a movie out of recently I think so. with they, Jack they, Black? They may have. Well, I'm not I watched sure, that. But, but that was— He a, was a Serbian accordion yeah. player. I mean, probably him. So, you know, being a Serbian, half Serbian, was kind of a challenge because there are so few heroes. So when your accordion player is a hero of yours, it tells you something about your ethnicity. Huh. Do you, uh, do you still sing today? You were in a choir. Well, do you I, sing? Uh, do you sing like around the house? Do you oh, sing, I sing when in the shower, you're, where yeah. the the acoustics make me sound at least a slightly better than I do elsewhere? Okay. And I like to sing along with music that I know. Uh, and so, ever, yeah, do, ever do karaoke? I haven't done. Well, I take that back. I did some karaoke when I was in Louisiana with some members of the legislature. We had a, <laughs> a member of the legislature who thought she was Gladys Knight. And I was one of her pips during uh, that period of time. So more than once at some event, I would be a pip in the background. That's, a, sort of that's a beautiful sh- image. Sort of the Bubba Knight of my times. And so. What is the uh, earliest musical memory you can recall? Well, you know, I can remember my dad singing uh, Johnny Ray's – oh, gosh, it was a song of uh, – Cry, I think, was the name of the song. I remember that quite well. But I mostly remember being at my grandparents' house and listening to Serbian music on the, those great big – old heavy records mm-hmm. that my grandmother pay, played nonstop because for them that was our, sort of their connection back to the old country. Hmm. Did you ever go to Serbia? I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had some relatives there and I've lost track of them but yeah. Can you remember a time and, and maybe this listening to the Serbian music with your grandparents but when music moved you as a younger person in a way that was different that oh, you, that stuck with you? Oh, I think always. Yeah, I mean I think particularly as you started – I started getting into the music of our times. There are a number of songs that you sort of – sort of touched you a little bit about whatever emotions you were going through at the time. I think that was the point. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sure. And, and uh, you know, there are a number of uh, – I still listen to some old music. I love the, the Mills Brothers. I love the natural harmonies that they could sing. And I still have a number of those CDs now. They don't – I can't do much with, uh, with uh, XM radio, but – uh, that I listen to just because I love that music and it reminds me of something that was going on good in life. And just – I don't want to get maudlin about this, but when I was five, I had polio. Hmm. So I was in a hospital for an extended period of time and then home recovering a little bit from that. And music kept me going. I mean I we didn't have a TV at the time. So – uh, you know, I'm convalescing after a, a bout with polio, and I spent a lot of time listening to music around the house, and it still touches me now. Hmm. Um, what was the first music that you owned when you got old enough to start collecting <clears throat> music? Well, again, I, I, a lot of the stuff from the 50s and on, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets, of course, okay. and uh, – uh, Elvis was obviously very, very big at the time. Roll over Beethoven. Roll over Beethoven. I actually had a I had a college roommate who made a version of that with a band he had that actually got a gold record out of it. A group uh, called the Vel Airs oh, wow. from South Dakota. So he used to play that for us all the time, which many people made roll over Beethoven. Um, so th- those are kind of the things that you know you stick in your head, and and to this day I still my my kids think I'm a throwback way, way back in time because I still listen to that music. Um, you know, you, you adopted two kids from Korea. Yep. How did uh, that come about? Well, were you, did you wind up in Korea for military or no, something no, no. like that? It was, no, it was more just uh, I was arriving toward the end of my uh, doctoral program and knew I was, I'd 
at the time taken a job already at Oregon State University. And my wife and I decided it was time to start a family. So literally we said, well, we'll try the biological way and we'll put in for adoption. And whichever one comes out first must be the right thing to do. And very shortly thereafter, we got a notice that there was a, a baby, a little tiny baby, had just been born in Korea that we could get placed with us if we chose. Huh. And so we... When went ahead with that process. That's our daughter who is now 41 and has two kids of her own. Huh. Um, and so she came just as I was getting ready to start my career at Oregon State University. And so then four years later, we said, well, let's try the same thing. And we put in for another adoption. And again, almost immediately, we got a response saying, there's a little boy in an orphanage in Ulsan, Korea. If he isn't placed within the next six months, he won't be placed. He'll be four years old and therefore we'll keep him in the orphanage, so would you be interested? And I said, we said, sure, and he's now 40 years old. In fact, he's staying with us for a day or two. He came through Florida just to catch up a little bit. So he's here right now? He's here right now. Oh, he's, cool. He travels nonstop in his job, and so he always finds a way to drop in. <clears throat> and I tease him a bit. I don't want to get into many stories about this. His, we, his now name is Sam Martin. But when he came, his name was Jung Monsu, Jung being his last name technically. And I tease him all the time that Jung Monsu in Korean actually means man who travels with no wallet because he never <laughs> seems to pay for anything. Uh, so so uh, whenever he's in town, he gets many free meals off of dad. But uh, in, in each instance, I'm more than happy to That's do it. That's what dads are for. Got some uh, grandkids, I presume? I do. Two little guys, uh, six and three and a half, uh, two little half Koreans, and uh, just terrific, cool. terrific little guys. Well, let's uh, let's move to your first song. Okay. Uh, uh, we're, uh, Wake Up Little Susie. Is that your, we're going to play these in the order you sent them, yep. if that's okay. Uh, and they're sort of the order chronologically okay. as I remember them. Now, would you like to listen to it and then tell the story because sure. it brings you back? Okay. Sure, well, then that. we're going to hear that. Okay. Uh, we're going to listen to uh, Wake Up Little Susie, Everly Brothers, released as a single in 1957. Wake up, please. So where does that song take you? Well, it takes me back to at least my high school days uh, in a couple ways. Uh, I became a great fan. I remain a great fan of the Everly Brothers because of their two-part harmony. I think the close harmonies are absolutely sensational. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to other music, Lennon and McCartney, you'll hear those harmonies. <clears throat> so I have uh, spent a lifetime trying to sing Phil's part. <laughs> uh, it's, it's tricky because I think when you're born – Together in the same family, it's a little yeah, more natural. something deep but sing, there. But yeah. singing the late Phil Everly's part, if, if Don ever comes out of retirement, he's no kid anymore, and he needs an assistant, I'd give it a shot. So first of all, I've always loved those harmonies, and I still have a lot of their music. And I went out of my way when they, you know, they had a, a gap when they weren't getting along very well. And they came back together later in life in the late 90s, I think, in the early 2000s. So I went out of my way to get to see them if I could wherever they were close by. Uh, the other is that my girlfriend in high school was Sue. And so I remember that as well. Um, Did you ever uh, wake up and it was too late to go home? Not quite that, but uh, <laughs> didn't fall asleep. But more than once, I didn't get home quite as early as I was expected to, particularly get her home as, quite as early as we expected to. And 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 she <clears throat> she was a great person, and I uh, I haven't seen her now for many many years, but. But I remember her fondly. And this song was part of the popular culture while you were dating exactly, her? Exactly. Uh -huh. Exactly. It was made several years before that, but it was still part of – you heard it regularly yeah, yeah. On, on AM radio in the day, and uh, and it never ceased to remind me of her. But I could have picked any Everly song in which they did the great two-part harmonies, and I would be more than happy to say that was part of my memories of what great music truly was at the time. Huh. And, uh, you know, I think that there was a time there when – 
um, Motown and others could spin almost any, could overproduce almost any record, make it sound pretty good. Right. The Everly Brothers, to me at least, when I saw them in person, sounded exactly as they did on the radio on the records, which I think is a real trick in those days. Yeah. 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 And so um, they weren't in a studio. I remember seeing them late in their life at a state fair in Oregon. You know, and they're out, and there's music, there's noise in the background from the Ferris wheel and everything else, and these guys still were right on target. Hmm. <clears throat> I don't think they were getting along very well, but the bottom line is they could really sing. Right. You know, it's funny how music and memory works because part of my, like, ethos as a teenager was I went away on a, a Methodist youth weekend or week-long trip, and the leaders were playing these Time Life Best of the 50s tapes, mm-hmm. and I just got hooked. And so when I got home, I asked them if I could make copies, and for there was a whole year there where I drove around listening to these these songs, and I knew every flipping word to that song, and I haven't listened to it in years, See, this every word. It stays with you. And I didn't put on my list, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of doo-wop. Mm-hmm. And so when I was president of New Mexico State, we had a woman who did concert arrangements. And I managed to get her to arrange a couple of doo-wop concerts. So I got to uh, spend a little time with little Anthony and the Imperials. I actually have a picture of me and little Anthony in my office. Hmm. And uh, what I was struck by was I thought, well, I've promoted this. We'll play it in our arena. A bunch of people like me will show up. It'll be a third full, but I will have at least satisfied myself. Right, right. We packed it. And a lot of the kids from campus really took to the doo-wop music that goes back 40 or 50 years. Yeah, yeah. And so I think somewhere in New Mexico, some kids are singing (laughs) some of the – or at least remembering some of Little Anthony and the Imperials. Awesome. But all of those, I think, stay with you. And I hadn't heard that. I, I, I picked a song, but I hadn't listened to it for a while. Yeah, and no, and I didn't it. listen to it prior yeah. to us yeah. listening to it together, yeah. and it was right there. No, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I got you. Um, so where does music fit into your life today? Do you listen to music? Uh, you probably don't listen to music at work, do you? Or no, maybe you but, do. but I, I now subscribe to satellite radio so I can listen. I, lately, I've been listening to uh, Channel 18, the Beatles channel, so I can get ah. through all the old Beatles music, which yeah. is one I picked from Rubber Soul. Uh, but I also want to go to 71 every once in a while, which is Frank Sinatra. And uh, I have threatened, and it's only an idle threat, that one night I was going to book our little concert hall over here and do my version of Tony Bennett. Well, I was uh, going to say, we could arrange that. Well, I think you could arrange it, and then they would probably be arrested uh, later on for having imposed that on even an empty uh, an empty audience. But but uh, So I like to span that a bit. <clears throat> but right now, I've been listening to the Beatles channel quite a little bit. Hmm. Do, you ever then, li- do you ever listen to like Spotify or Pandora or any of those occasionally, streaming services? Occasionally. My, my son knows how to do that better than I do. But I usually listen to 60s on 6 and uh, uh, classic vinyl and a few others when I'm driving. And I've been driving a good deal lately, so I catch up in that regard. Do you ever um, see live music? Have you seen live music like in the last few years? Yeah, I've been to uh, – went to Minneapolis not long ago and, uh, and and caught up with a couple of concerts there. And uh, I'm, as you will know, I'm a big Steely Dan fan. Mm-hmm. I probably – I'm not sure I can see Steely Dan now that Walter Becker has died. Yeah. I mean I'm not yeah. quite sure – it's the same band. Uh, we saw the Eagles in concert about a month and a half ago. Jimmy Buffett and the Eagles in Minneapolis had, uh, went up to 
to, to uh, Target Field. Uh, the acoustics weren't great, the, but it was nonetheless. And of course, Glenn Fry was dead, so they they had Vince Gill, who's very good, but he's not Glenn yeah, Fry. Yeah. So that the downside of the much of the music I like is that they're starting to pass from the scene. But nonetheless, I try to get there occasionally when I can. Do you remember the first concert you ever went to? Uh, one of the first concerts I ever went to, I think, was nineteen. It was in the sixties, I think, of the Beatles oh, wow. at Met Stadium in Minneapolis. Hmm. And that may have been one of the first I've seen. I mean, you know, where I grew up, I wouldn't call them concerts, but you could go to a lots of places on the weekend and listen to polka bands, right? Whoopi John Wolfart and some others, and uh, and uh, the polka padres. So that may have been the first, right? But the first sort of concert concert, <clears throat> I may well have been the Beatles in uh, in Minnesota. Do you have a, a peak concert experience from all your years? <sighs> Well, you know, I'll tell you one of the ones that I think about a lot. I, I, I did a sabbatical leave in Hawaii uh, while I was at Oregon State. So we spent uh, 13 months in Hawaii. And Gladys Knight and the Pips played a relatively small venue. Were you ready Hawaii. to stand in? I was, I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping. I think Merrill Knight is Bubba who leads the, the other two, who, one of whom has also died recently, uh, the two cousins. And I was hoping that suddenly he'd come out and say, is there anyone who knows the parts? I think I could at least fake the singing. The steps I don't think I could have kept right, up with. Right, but yeah. uh, that was that was a very intimate little theater. So we were right up there up close. The other one where we were in Hawaii is that Jimmy Buffett came off of a long concert tour and did his very last concert at, on a park outside in Honolulu below Diamond Head. And we got there early, sat in the front row. Mm. I think I was deaf for about three days afterwards. And he just did one of these ongoing concerts of pure fun. And so those are two of the ones I remember very well, partly because we really enjoyed Hawaii and partly because they're great concerts. Uh, when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form like a CD or a record? Oh, well, I probably bought some CDs within the last year. The problem is my car doesn't have a CD player. Oh, in. so it, you, you've, yeah, you've well, moved past. Uh, unfortunately, I got a CD. I remember when tape decks disappeared, yeah, well, but I, I haven't would, gotten the CDs well, disappearing I was trying yet. to jam a couple into the, uh, into the radio slot. I do have a car back in a little – we have a little townhouse in Minnesota, and I have a car in the garage I can play CDs on. So I've left them there. And what I did most recently is I ordered uh, through Amazon – all of uh, Harry Nilsson's CDs. Hmm. So I've been listening in my car to Harry Nilsson. While you're in who, Minnesota. While I'm in Minnesota because for a number of reasons. I like Harry Nilsson. I think he was a fascinating guy and underrated. And I understand that he was John Lennon's favorite singer. Oh, really? So so I've been listening to Harry Nilsson. He did a, a one CD, one, one album of all older music, kind of classic older music of the 50s. And, you know, he had a really sensational way of produ producing a song. Hmm. So. Um, are there any albums or an, an, an album that you will always listen to all the way through if you put it in? Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. Oh, I always listen to Rubber Soul. I got a couple more. I, I don't know name them, but uh, Johnny Rivers. I got a couple of Johnny Rivers now CDs that were big discs when I was in college. And uh, I'll listen to Johnny Rivers for two reasons. I like his music. Uh, 
because it kind of blends country western and rock. And he's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I lived there a while, so I felt a connection in some peculiar way. You know, the other place, Gainesville, Florida, had a number of, but Tom Petty is from there. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Stills is from there. Yeah. Uh, How long did you live in Gainesville? Six years. Yeah. I lived there for about a year and a half yeah, and so, have a lot of connections yeah. there. It's a good, good town. Uh, yeah. No, it was a wonderful place. And uh, people don't realize, uh, Don Felder, who is the lead guitar player for the Eagles for many, many years, is from Gainesville. Oh, wow. So here's this little southern town that... Uh, that you wouldn't think of as a music capital would produce some pretty good music. Um, you've mentioned the Beatles and Rubber Soul. Um, what is the album you've probably listened to the most over the years? Is that maybe that's probably it? it. Although I think probably Pet- Pretzel Logic and several of the other um, uh, Asia from from uh, Steely Dan. Um, but you know, I wear them out. I really do. And part of it is you get into somebody. And then I just listened to that for a long, long time. I probably shouldn't. Yeah, but I'm exactly yeah, the same uh, way. I'll go a year and, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so I was listening the other day. I was listening to Buddy Holly. And uh, I, I went to Lubbock, Texas for only one reason. There's a Buddy Holly Museum. And that's all there is. Well, other than Texas Tech, a fine university. <laughs> uh, and then the other place that's interesting is Macon, Georgia, as you probably know, has a museum to the Allman Brothers. Mm-hmm. And of late, I've been listening to a little of the old Allman Brothers stuff just because Greg died not long ago and sort of paying a tribute to Greg Allman. I saw the Allman Brothers in concert back even when Dwayne was alive years and years ago. Hmm. And Richard Betts was their lead guitar player and – You've seen a lot of live music, sounds like. Yeah, I used to do it a little more than I do now, but uh, yeah. certainly enjoyed it. Cool. And, uh, uh, well, let's move on to your second yeah. song, Steely Dan, right? Or Rubber Soul, either, or uh, Nowhere Man, either one. Um, well, you choose. Well, let's do Nowhere Man, because that's sort of the sequence. How's that? Okay. Well, then this is uh, Nowhere Man by the Beatles. Do you want to tell a story? you want to listen? Yeah, let me tell you quickly. Well, again, that that's one of the main, main, main songs. It's, it's a principal song in Rubber Soul. And when I started college, I, I had a couple of roommates who had a huge record collection. And this album had just come out at that time. And they played the grooves out of it. I mean, you couldn't walk into our apartment without listening to Rubber Soul over and over and over again to the point that we were all singing the parts in the whenever you're cooking a pizza or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was like musical theater in yeah, the apartment. So, <laughs> so I think back to those early days of my college career and some roommates I really enjoyed. And this is sort of connected to that time. All right. Well, let's listen to it. This is uh, Nowhere Man by the Beatles from the 1965 album Rubber Soul. If you listen to the prior record and you listen to this one, you can hear the harmonies they stole to some extent from the Everly Brothers. And uh, I just think that's a wonderfully produced song. I, uh, I think George Martin produced that album, I'm pretty sure, and didn't overproduce it, let him sing. So that was 65, and yep. so you were in college? I started college in the fall of 65 and, uh, and remember that extremely well. We played that record to death for about three years. Yeah. And I had a roommate at the time. My sophomore year, who we never were sure was in college or not. He sort of came and went. He was – he'd be there for a week. He'd disappear <laughs> for a while. And he became the nowhere man. And there were two of us who believed we could actually sing those harmonies. So when he did show up, we sang that to him. And <laughs> not well by any means. So there was a lot of connection with that that album. But I also – if you if you just listen to well-produced albums, I think that's one of the great ones. And that's a great song on that album. Um, is there anything about the lyrics that, I mean, deeper? I mean, that, yeah, you know, because no, no. that time in the world, yeah, yeah, you know, we yeah. were ramping up to some big change. And well, I think we're all going through – first of all, you know, your freshman 
her sophomore years in college are all kind of a transition. Anyhow, the Vietnam War was on. We were all thinking yeah, yeah. about whether we we're going to get drafted or not. Uh, there's a whole lots of moving parts. Uh, a group of us got together and sort of had this floating group of roommates that started out in an apartment. And then we rented an old house and any we were there anywhere from twelve of us to four of us, depending on what the what was going on. And this would have been at, at Minnesota, Man, Man, you know, Minnesota Mankato, State, which yeah, became Man, Minnesota. Yeah, you got it, Mankato State at the time, and uh, so we had a gang that kind of morphed into different groups all the time. But the one thing that was a constant is we always had a big stereo system in the living room, and we cranked it up with great regularity and. Uh, and listening to that particular album and that particular song off that album reminds me of that very graphically. I mean, just hmm. good times. Coming back from class, parking for a little bit, listening to a little music, uh, carrying on conversations on meaningless topics that were important to us at the moment. Uh, simpler times. Yeah, simpler the salad time. days. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I was fortunate to have sort of stumbled in with a group of people, some of whom I still know to this day. Wow. And uh, so that that reminds me very much of that. And as I say, the other album, the other albums that we listened to a lot were Johnny Rivers for reasons I don't remember exactly why we hooked on to Johnny Rivers. But I would say that if there was a an album that we played the grooves off of, it was Rubber Soul. Hmm. Have you ever seen – it might be a strange thing, but not really. Um, there's a movie called Across the Universe came out about 10 or 12 years ago. No, I haven't seen that. You I'll should, look, you I should will check it. it out. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a film musical. Um, but every song in it is a Beatles song. Oh, so yeah. they weave a storyline through an hour and 40 minute long movie that uses Beatles songs as the pivot points. Yeah. And you would, re- especially I, what, the I, story you just told me yeah. about you and your, your friends and your house. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, you got to see this movie. I will take you up on that. I absolutely will. We could talk about it again. I, you know, and I, I say, I, I, I don't, I'm not technically very skilled at this stuff, but I do listen a little bit. And about the same time this was coming on, Phil Spector was starting to produce music, The Wall of Sound. And I didn't like it. I thought, you, you're missing the point of great music. Listening to George Martin produce The Beatles gives you a chance to listen to the musicians themselves and not just sort of this overwhelming body of music coming out of the machines. So, so once things got more complicated and louder and it, that was not your style. Not my style. I'm sure – well, obviously there's somebody's style out there because they made a lot of records and a lot of right. music. But – but that particular song reminds me of what a great song sounds like. Hmm. Um, um, are you a dancer? Uh, well, no. I, I, <laughs> I would I, – my, and my wife would most assuredly tell you not a dancer. At the time, I tried when I was younger. But uh, that's a, a rhythm I've never caught on to very much. But I – the music makes you still think about the people who can dance. Is there any um, – that's a good way to put it. I'm going to start saying that because I'm not a dancer either. Um, is there any modern music that you listen to? Do you um, ever wind up you know, checking out what's going on in the modern scene or are you pretty much happy pretty with much your throw- XM channels? I'm pretty much a throwback, yeah. I mean and, and I'm, I'm sure that if I took the time, I might find something I like. But uh, I don't get a lot of time to listen to music, so I listen to the music that I've always liked. And just like this conversation, reminds me of good times. Yeah. Um, you've got a couple of kids uh, that were young. Any lullabies that you can recall? Yeah, not so much that, although there is a – we have a bunch of CDs we've kept because when the kids were young, we lived in Oregon. And one of the things we did a lot of is skiing in the mountains. And coming and going, we played the same music regularly. Oh, it's like your trip music. Yep. Jackson Brown is welded into their heads, I guarantee <laughs> you, and some Jimmy Buffett. And so uh, 
I think about those kinds of things with the kids because we get in a car coming back from, say, Willamette Pass back to Cor- Corvallis, Oregon, and it was about a three-inning hour and 15-minute drive. And I'd put a little music on. Those were tape days. Put a little music on from Jackson Brown or one of those. The kids would get to have a sandwich and a frozen Snickers bar, and then they'd fall asleep. And then we'd have a nice, quiet ride home because they had been exhausted from being out on the ski slope. They were just little guys, a little guy, a little little girl. Uh, but all of those sort of were part of that thing. And um, I miss those days, but I'm glad I had them. Uh, do either of your kids play music or did uh, they play growing up? Uh, they both played growing up. My son – my both did. Yeah, my son played the guitar. He also played the trumpet. My daughter played the flute. They still kind of have a connection to that and my daughter and son-in-law still follow some music. They, You know, they think, of course, that I'm – I'm a, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to the music I play. But I also think some of it is stuck in their head. Uh, uh, so a lot, a lot of that stuff uh, connects you in ways you don't realize until you reflect back on it. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and everybody's always keeping looping back too. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. no matter how old it gets, it's going to raise its head again, it seems like. Um, okay. Well, let's move on to your third song. Sure. Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Uh, Kid Charlemagne. It's probably this theme is, of course, a drug dealer. Uh, so I don't want to th- argue that the theme was important to me. But I'll tell you why. I love Steely Dan for lots of reasons. I love their lyrics. I love their music. I think they're two, two really clever guys who created Steely Dan, Donald Fagan and Walter, <coughs> the late Walter Becker. But over the, my last several years of my career, I've made several long trips across the country in a car. First from Gainesville, Florida to uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, then Las Cruces, New Mexico to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, then Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Denver, Colorado, and then Denver, Colorado, back and forth to Minneapolis to visit family a number of times, and then Twin Cities here. And in each case, I had my old dog with me. She just died recently at mm-hmm. 19. And we listened wow. to Steely Dan. And the thing I love about Kid Charlemagne is I just think the lyrics are awfully clever. I mean, whether it's about a drug dealer or not, anyone who writes every A-frame has your number on the wall is a pretty interesting line to squeeze into a song. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time listening to Steely Dan lyrics and as a consequence, we've gone out of our way to try to see the band when Walter was still alive when we could and uh, got to see him on a couple times in concert and still think it's a remarkably interesting band for its times. Fagan goes on, they continue to... They continue to perform without Walter. But uh, nonetheless, I think of those days of driving with my dog, and she seemed to like it as much as I did. So, What was your dog's name? Al- Agnes. Agnes. Uh, we saved her from the death on the desert of, of uh, uh, New Mexico. So she rode with me the last several trips. And so we, my wife would oftentimes fly ahead if we were moving or whatever, and Agnes and I would get in the car and drive. And the last trip was down here about a year and a half ago when she was still with us, and we loaded up the CDs and listened to Steely Dan from St. Hmm. Paul, Minnesota to, to Fort Myers, Florida. Hmm. I drove across country a couple of times with my dog Sage listening to music. So uh, there you I'm go. Right See, there you, right got, you got the message, and uh, it, it, it soothed us both. Okay, and I like to paint a picture. So what kind of car would you have been in on one of these trips so well, we can imagine? One of my trips, I think I had a – I'm trying to think back. I, uh, I think one, for a while I had a, a uh, Chrysler Sebring convertible. I don't think we were in that one. The most recent one was in a um, – uh, Kia Nero uh, hybrid that we drove down here to this stop. 
And then back and forth to Minneapolis, we drove uh, primarily I – had, I had a larger Kia vehicle. And for a while, I had a uh, Mustang convertible. She liked the Mustang convertible. She liked the top down. We had a fine old time. So. All right. Here's uh, President Martin and Agnes. The Agnes, in a, yeah. In a convertible Mustang listening to Steely Dan's Kid Charlemagne from their 1976 album, The Royal Scam. Great music. Absolutely. <clears throat> I've got to go back and research. I think that was uh, Skunk Baxter p- playing the lead guitar, but i got to remember who <laughs> played the lead guitar. Well, what I always loved about Steely Dan music, still do, is how important the drum part is mm-hmm. to Steely Dan music. You've got to listen to it for a while, I think, before you realize that, uh, that the drums are really important to those guys. Uh, despite the fact that there's some pretty other some other good music on their albums. Oh, absolutely. And 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 a I there's nothing I like more than driving and listening to music. So yep. I love that vision. But uh, b I spent a lot of time out in the woods with a buddy of mine who's huge Steely Dan fan. He's the reason I know Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. And he was a music theory major or a music mm-hmm. major. And so he would just go on and on and on <laughs> about. All the things they were doing that we non-music majors don't know they're doing, but they're doing. So not only is it just accessible to anybody and and interesting, but if you really know what you're looking at, it's really impressive. And I wish I had that kind of insight and knowledge because I really do enjoy all kinds of music, but I really like theirs. And I always just thought – for, for virtually all of their music, the lyrics are so interesting. I yeah. mean, and I'm not sure they even know themselves what it's always all about. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, two, yeah, yeah. But the two of them could really, and as I say, when I heard every A-frame has your number on the wall, I said, now, how do you get that into a song? And damned if they didn't do it just right. <laughs> I, I, by um, the way, that, uh, the lead guitarist on that is uh, Larry Carlton uh, on Larry that solo. Carlton. Thank you. Yeah. Thank solo, you. I, that solo is ranked 80 on the top 100 by Rolling Stone. There you go. Thank you very much. We See, there's aim an insight. to please I here. appreciate There's real <laughs> research. Good work. <laughs> Thank you, Google and Richard. Um, uh, uh, I had a Donald Fagan album uh, mm-hmm. that I listened to Night a lot. Flies? No, Comicuria yeah, or yeah, something like sure, that. Yeah. It was this weird like theme yeah, album yeah. where he was in a car where yeah. he could grow his own food. and <laughs> <laughs> It was really good. Yeah. I mean, it had that same, uh, that same yeah. Steely Danness yeah. that really was appealing. The other one I thought about, the other Steely Dan was old school, but, uh, but there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, if you listen to Steely Dan music, every one of them has – it's different enough from one another mm-hmm. that you always get a different theme because they were peculiar dudes or are <laughs> peculiar. Daniel Fagan's case still is. Uh, but it's just another one of those. And I wish I, I wish I had uh, the, the capacity to really understand all the yeah. undercurrent. But. It was so interesting for me because I didn't have re- – I, I can hang a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But a lot of what he was saying was just – he just enjoyed saying it. So it, I oh, gave listen, him the ear. Listen, well, and those are good <laughs> memories that come out of that music. Yeah. That's exactly the point yeah. I think we're here about. So I, I, I enjoy all of them. And, uh, and as I say, my kids know they've, they've listened to this stuff most of their lives. And I think it stuck a little with them. That uh, that was I don't know I think it's intellectually good music and that I think that they took the time to weave some things into their stories along with their music that you hear something slightly different every time. Absolutely. Um, do you have a favorite band? Uh, not right now. Not that I know of. Although I, I that was a great band and I would and I would listen to them regularly. Uh, I don't know if I'll see them now again, but I certainly like the Eagles. Um, and again, I hate to see. One of the major eagles die, but <clears throat> I think it's another great band. I like the harmonies and I like uh, Timothy Schmidt. 
able to still at an older age sing a very high tenor part. And uh, but you know whatever's on the radio that or on the CD that strikes my fancy, I still enjoy. You've you've mentioned harmonies a number of times as something that you like in your music. What about? I just heard a story on NPR about um, the rise or the resurgence of you know college. Harmony bands. What are they called? I can't even think. Well, I'm not sure, but, but you know, I remember like, what you like, mean. Like the four Yale freshmen. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. was that sort of your scene at all? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I always wanted to be able to sing like that. I never could. Acapella but, uh, bands. Yeah, that's, yeah, thank that's you, Richard. it. Yep. And then, you know, everything from barbershop to some others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always wish I could have been good enough to really sing with one of those. But I always admire the people who can do it, who have the ear to do it and, and sort of the natural tendencies. I, I was wondering one day about whether or not being related to one another made you better harmonizers. Yeah. For instance, the, I said the Mills Brothers, you know, terrific singers. If you go back and listen to some of their music, I mean, they're just terrific. Yeah. And you got this sense <clears throat> that they were born with different voices to come out exactly that way. Yeah. And the same thing with Don and Phil. I mean, did – or the Pointer Sisters or pick pick those groups that were families. Did somehow the biology of the time give them a connectedness that allowed them to sing harmonies that the rest of us can't do? So, hmm. um, How about a song that almost made it on your list? Was there a fourth that you, you had to think about leave that behind? A little bit. You know, that's, that's a very good question. I, I think <clears throat> there probably is um, – there probably is at least – one or two Jackson Brown songs that I would have probably picked along the way. Pretender is probably the number one of those because I like Jackson Brown. I think he wrote some good music for himself and some others. He's still performing out there. I saw him in concert a couple of times. Uh, a couple summers ago, we went to see uh, uh, Jackson Brown and uh, James Taylor. I may have picked a James Taylor song. Like the like his music a lot as well. I've seen him in concert a number of times, including up in New England and. Uh, while we were still in Minnesota one summer, we, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, my wife and I took the train from St. Paul to, to Chicago, went to uh, Wrigley Field and saw Jackson Brown and, and James Taylor in concert. Would have picked someone probably from one of those. Hmm. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to uh, remind our listeners that you went to North Korea, which is not something a lot yeah, of people have yeah. done. Was there any access or exposure to music while you were there? If there uh, is there a music angle well, into I would, that story? Interestingly enough, you went to ask that. Um, at night, the North Koreans, where we were there, we were in Pyongyang. We, we did a little tour of the countryside for a, a couple of days, but mostly we were in the big city, Pyongyang, the capital. And uh, people live in very tight apartments. And so they go out at night and walk around just to get some some privacy. And the government plays some music at, out in some of the big plaza areas, sort of a peculiar sounding kind of white noises, noises kind of music hmm. as people are just out wandering around. A couple of nights, a couple of us while, that were part of this little eight-person entourage went out and walked around as well. And so you'd get this kind of background music that – and I'm not exactly sure what the point was – but it was a kind of an interesting part of that trip. Huh, so of. that was probably the most of it. Um, and that was a fascinating trip. I don't want to get up in great detail. But Governor Richardson, the governor of New Mexico at the time, had been to North Korea a number of times because he was friends with the foreign minister, I believe, when, when the foreign minister was an observer in the UN and Bill Richardson was the U.S. ambassador to the UN. 
So he had a natural connection that the and so George W. Bush sanctioned a group of us to go and and Richardson invited me to be part of the team and it was just a fascinating trip and that was one of the fascinating parts of it just to see how people lived mm-hmm. because they were so tightly packed in into living quarters, their privacy was outdoors. Uh, yeah. When you said that, that struck yeah. me. It's like, I mean, yeah, I got to leave my house to be alone. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. So you'd, you'd go out at night and it was sort of dull lit and in the kind of the big common areas. We did go to a festival that they took us to with a lot of music and a lot of – they had a big soccer stadium and they had thousands of people in different colored costumes doing these complicated – maneuvers yeah, yeah, all to, choreographed. To, yeah, to, to Korean music. And that was pretty interesting. I mean, that was a, one of the nights out we had at the at the invitation of the foreign ministry. Hmm. I never thought I'd get to pivot from North Korea to TV theme songs on this show, but are there any TV theme songs that you would know the lyrics to still? I don't know if I know the lyrics to, but I, I, I used to whistle along with the Andy Griffith show. Oh, okay. Uh, you're, you're our second, second Andy Griffith answer. Well, that's uh, <laughs> you know, I think we all remember trying to whistle to that. That yeah. one. Uh, uh, I think about that a little bit. There, are there any other themes that came along? Um, well, you know, you know, people are way too young to remember this, but Jack Benny had his own theme uh-huh. song when I watched TV as a kid. I'm, if I thought about that, I might remember that one a bit as well, only because Harry Nilsson made a version of it on an <laughs> album that I have. But, uh, but, and I don't watch much TV anymore. I, I uh, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm an overly sophisticated person. I yeah, just yeah. don't watch much TV anymore. But some of those things go back in your mind too. You know, My Three Sons, these are all parts of my era. Yeah. And my Three Sons, Leave It to Beaver, they all had intros <clears throat> that the minute you heard them, you ran yep. to the living room because your favorite show was coming on. Yep. Um, by the way, it was uh, uh, F- the director of FGCU's art galleries, John Lasciuto, who ha- he can play the Andy Griffith song on his guitar. So really? You guys can hey, have a I'm going to go over there and that. I'm going to stop in. That's, uh, yeah, but so those are the things that uh, – isn't it odd what stays with you? Yeah, it is. And, so. and and what's starting to happen with this show is that the memories that we get from doing this show become part of that song. Yeah. So like when I hear the Everly Brothers next time, I'm going to remember your story about <laughs> your girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really yeah. interesting how yeah. – there's something about music that's different than other things. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to somebody who does neuroscience because somehow that seems to stick with your memory in ways that other things do not. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I go back in time. I think about I had a couple roommates in college and we used to try to replicate the temptations. <laughs> <clears throat> so when they came on, we we're all singing into something as though we were the temptations. And you think we were terrible. But those were the nights when we had some great times listening to some of that Motown music or whether or not it was uh, – whether it was Rubber Soul or whatever it turned out to be. <clears throat> Everybody thought they were a performer. You have to go back. I think it was about episode about 14, I'm guessing. We had a, a woman on named Angel Duncan who's a local uh, – episode 23. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Angel uh, works with um, music therapists and Alzheimer's patients and, and, and she – we talked a lot about the music and the memory and the brain and what – what the CD, you know, the CT scans are showing us of what we're doing while we're listening to music, and yeah, it's it, there's some interesting stuff going on there. And we even did an extra, like bonus interview where we didn't really even talk, we didn't use the lens of this show. We just after we were done, I'm like, okay, let me just ask you questions about brain and music. So check that out. I will do that. That's very good. I, I will follow up with that because I've always been fascinated by the fact that every culture has some kind of music. Yeah. 
You know, not every culture has everything every other culture does, but every culture has their music that is somehow connected to it. Yeah. And uh, so it's clear that something in the human in human nature causes us to to try to create some, causes someone to be creative enough to do it. And 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 because of the way music works and the way chords and and melodies resolve, you can play the wrong note. And everyone will hear it, yeah. even though they don't know the song. Yeah. You know, and there's yep. something really yeah. deep about that. And that, that was, I was going to say, that was my accordion career. I played nothing but the wrong notes. <laughs> and everyone noticed. Everybody noticed. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, best <clears throat> album of all time in your opinion. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a tough one. I, I, I would probably come back to Rubber Soul. Okay. I, still believe, I, I still believe that that was one of those great, great albums of my era, my time. And to this day, I still think it's a great album. I think every song on there turned out to be an outstanding piece of work by a couple of writers. Um, I think the production of that album was terrific at the time. And uh, and I think it stays with you. And I, when I listen to the Beatles on uh, on 18, now on the on my radio when I'm driving around, they play a pieces of it, and I remember it as as well as I did in 1965. Uh, is there any song that you will always turn off if it comes on the radio? Well, I'll tell you, there's a couple of bands I always turn off. Okay. I'm not a big fan of Led Zeppelin. I think oh, there's, yeah. only, there's only a certain amount of screaming. You're the I one. <laughs> I'm the one guy who is not a Led Zeppelin fan, and and I'm not a big fan of Steven Tyler. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you there. So if Steven Tyler comes on, I tend to change the channel. Hmm. Uh, but uh, so those are two. And I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I just think that the, no matter how long I listen to them, they always all sound the same in the end. And I don't. And I don't want to offend anybody who loves either of those groups. I mean, uh, Aerosmith could be the top of somebody's chart. And, I have and, the same problem with the Rolling Stones, which yeah. makes people look at me like I'm crazy. But <laughs> hey, you know, yeah. what, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, well, and with the, the, the Rolling Stones I'm a fan of only because Keith Richards has survived. I mean, yeah, the, man, exactly. the, man, the man is somehow a miraculous piece of work. At this point, he might, he's probably going to go to 150, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and he'll <laughs> always look the same. I mean, he's yeah. looked that way from as long back as you can go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for some reason, I've never taken to either of those other two bands, and when they come on, I push the button. Um, okay, last question. Do you Does FGCU have a fight song? We do. Do, do you we know do. it? I, I know. I can know it when it's played. Right. And, and, but you're and, not going to sing I'm it I'm not going to sing acapella. it today. No, no. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't sing anything a cappella. I promise you that. But uh, yeah, we do. And, and and there's some that I remember forever. I mean, uh, the University of Minnesota fight song, I remember very well because they, it's a very short little fight song. And it's over and over again. And even when you're growing up as a kid and you're not a University of Minnesota grad, and I was a dean there as well, uh, you hear it all the time. Minnesota hats off to thee. Um, so some of those stick in your head as well. And, yeah. I, and I do know this fight song when they play it. And yeah. the kids like, – Well, you're still pretty new. We'll give you yeah, some I'm, time. I'm getting there. I'm and getting I've been there. on campus one way or another for 20 years and I don't know. Yeah. So I'm a slacker. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? Uh, nothing but thanks a lot. This is a really – I think this is a genuinely interesting thing to do. It's a, it's a clever way to, to tie stories and information about people and insight into something we all have in common. So – well, congratulations. And I, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your delighted, busy schedule because I know you are a busy man. Uh, delighted. Now I'll be singing the Rubber Soul songs all the way back to my office. I hope <laughs> no one inadvertently records me somewhere along the way. It would be deeply embarrassing. But uh, thank you very much. Great to touch on some of these memories. Thank you, President Martin. 
We make this podcast in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is the show's co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. The Three Song Stories theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, I'm going back to the mid-2000s here at WGCU. I was producing Gulf Coast Live. We'd been doing the show for a couple of years at that point, so we're still getting to know the world and hamster wheel that is daily live radio production. Valerie Alker was hosting the show that day. We had blocked out the entire hour for columnist and novelist Florida's very own Carl Hyacin. It was getting close to showtime, and he still hadn't arrived when my phone rang, and it was him on his cell, lost driving around campus somewhere. This was happening as the newscast that precedes the show was beginning. It's only a five-minute newscast, so we were staring down no guest at show launch for the first time ever, if I couldn't steer him straight fast. We sorted out where he was and where he needed to go next. As I headed for the back door of the station with one of our producers, Luke Martin, I told him to just drive around back and we'll hurry him straight to the studio and park his car for him. So there we are, Luke and I, standing at the back door when this white Lexus SUV whips around the corner and parks in front of us. Out steps Carl Hyacin, who I hand over to Luke, as I promise to be careful parking his car. They head toward the studio. I get into his Lexus, which was white on white with a leather interior. When I started it up, this song was playing, which just cracked me up. Imagining Carl Hyacin tooling around the FGCU campus on the phone with me as we desperately tried to make it all happen before showtime, listening to Bing Crosby's Meli Kaliki Maka. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Last night while I was sleeping, I looked upon the wall. The cockroaches and bedbugs were playing a game of ball. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. It's been immortalized. Right? Uh, They they think I'm crazy and it's gross. Oh, of course they think you're crazy, and now they're going to hear this and think you're even crazier. (laughs)